0: We wrap up our series on the favor factor this week and then our guests next week and then we're going to start a series on city lights, what it means to be a light in a dark world. So let's pray together. Father, anoint this word. Help us to get it, understand it, and walk in your favor each day. Give us freedom to share it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I I want to make a deal with you today about the subject of money. Uh, I'm going to offer that deal to you a little bit later, but before we get there, I want to point out uh, a few things. One, I want to challenge you to really examine your viewpoint on money, on wealth, on the things that you have. Uh, Really, it's more than what we can do today, but I want to start with how do you feel even when I say that? Even when you say, we're going to talk about money today, what's your, what's your reaction to that in your spirit? Do you kind of go, oh, all right. I want to hear how to be blessed by God. Or do you go, oh, here we go again. <laughs> now, so I want you to examine how you feel. How, how, does, how does that reaction come? and Examine how you think about money and examine... I want to challenge you to start examining what the Bible says about money. It's it's not as simplistic as we often think when we think about the biblical view. Sometimes even those who are faithful and generous and tithing and giving don't understand a full biblical view. The biblical view is is much more in-depth than just how much I put in the offering or what percentage I put in the offering once a week or once a month at church. And so as you read through the Bible over the next few weeks, I want to encourage you to to look for the places that talk about money. In the book, book, God and Money, the authors say this. They say, the Bible says a lot about money. The Bible includes approximately 500 verses on both prayer and faith, but more than 2,000 verses on money. So again, as you read, as you go through the parables, you go through the stories, read about those. It says, indeed, money is the subject of roughly 40% of Jesus' parables. God does indeed teach a consistent set of lessons about wealth and giving from Genesis to Revelation. In the book, Not a Fan, and some of you have been through this study here in our in our classes, and some I believe are going through this study, even right now in some of our small groups, the, the author writes these words. He says, the reason Jesus talked more about money than any other subject is because it can easily become his chief competition. We end up following money and, and the things money can buy instead of Jesus. See, the problem with money is this. We begin to feel this is where success is measured. We begin to feel this is where satisfaction can be found. We begin to feel that if we have enough of this, we will have comfort. And yet Jesus teaches that he is the living water, that he quenches our thirst, that he is the one who satisfies every need, that he is the one who comforts our souls. And when we get those two confused, we're going to end up wanting. It's in that moment that money becomes a substitute for God because it promises to do for us what he wants to do for us. The author of that book, points out his experience with financial counseling and, and, and questions uh, people, uh, and the questions people have a tendency to ask. And he says this is what, what people ask in financial counseling. Here's my income. Here's our resources. Here's our debts. What's the most I can spend on my house? If I'm buying a house, What's the most I can spend on it and it be okay? But when it comes to giving, or what's the most I can spend to get a car? What's the most I can spend to go on vacation? What can I afford to do? But when it comes to giving, here's the question. Does God want me to get out of my net income or my gross income? Do you see the subtle difference? In other words, what's the most I can spend on my house and what's the least I have to give to God? Now, I understand this. I understand this temptation. I understand this issue. In almost every commercial, in almost every movie, in the culture all around us, success, pleasure, fullness of life, is somehow wrapped up in the money we have or the money we can spend or the things we can get. But as Christians, we need to remember that what Jesus teaches us is that you can't find satisfaction there. That the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the ears are never going to be satisfied. That he's the only one that can meet that need. Now for those of you who've been around here for a while, this is a story you've probably heard. But I, I, I wanna share this with you for those of you who are new and, and it, won't, it won't hurt some of you others to hear it again. When I was a young boy growing up in the house, we, the, the, the church had started. I was about nine years old at the time Calvary started. And our first services were out at a place called the Knights of Pythias Hall. Which has been torn down since then, should have probably been torn down before then. Uh, it, wasn't a, it wasn't the most pleasant place. We had a few services there. And after uh, our first few Sundays there, we moved to the Black Hawk School. I remember the Black being in the Black Hawk School. Very clearly, we had, a, we, we had worship services in, the, in the, uh, uh, the gym, and we had Sunday school classes and two of their classes. Uh, for the kids. There was one class for the younger kids and one for those of us who were of grade school age. Probably about eight or nine of us in that class. It was about this time uh, that my dad came to me and said, uh, you need to start, stop asking me for money all the time. You need to start earning some money. Now, I would ask him for money for a lot longer than that. But uh, he, he wanted me to start earning some money. And so he, he took me out in the garage, brought, had me bring a bunch of his shoes out. He had about six or seven, eight pairs of shoes, I think seven that day. And he brought them out, and he had a, a, a kit that you shine shoes with. And he, he showed me how to shine his shoes. And he told me that day, he said, look, you can shine my shoes anytime you want to. You can shine them every day, I don't care. Uh, I'm gonna pay you a quarter for every pair of shoes you shine, and from now on, if we're out at a restaurant and you want candy, you're on your own. You're given in the offering of church, you're on your own. Uh, you start doing that yourself. so I set out there that Sunday that, 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 that Saturday afternoon and I shine seven pair of shoes. And he came out and inspected them and told me how to do it better and I did it a little better and finally he was satisfied and he gave me a buck 75. And I took those, those quarters and put them in my pocket. I was now, for the first time in my life, a man who had earned his own money. <laughs> I was proud of that buck 75. Felt good about having that buck 75 in my, in my pocket. And he told me this is how this is how men, this is how young men and men, this is how people earn their living. They work and you earn something. It's a great lesson. That Sunday, I got up the next day and we went to church. And I, I for whatever reason, I don't know what the reason was, but I brought my whole buck seventy-five. Now you got to realize, back in those days, the buck seventy-five was a lot of money. You could buy about sixteen candy bars with a buck seventy-five. Remember those days, some of you? You could buy probably six gallons of gas back in those days. You could go to the movie, get popcorn and a coke and a candy, and still have a little money left over with a buck seventy-five when I was a kid. I mean, you, could, you could do a lot of things with a buck seventy-five. You can't now, you know, a buck seventy-five. Wow, you can't hardly get a Coke. You can't in many places. But a buck seventy-five was a lot of money. So I I I had my buck seventy-five with me for whatever reason. And we went into the Sunday school class in the Sunday school class, they were teaching on this verse. I remember it clearly. That you have this opportunity to store up treasures in heaven. And where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And they talked to us kids about heaven and the aspect that we could store up treasures in heaven. And they had built a little cardboard that had taken a, like a, a box from a, a maybe a refrigerator and they'd painted it and cut little slats in and it looked like a, it looked like a bank teller's uh, window with the bars in it, like you'd see in the movies. And they made this little bank and instead of receiving the offering by passing an offering container that day, after they did their lesson, they said, now we're going to let you come up and make a deposit in your heavenly account store up treasures in heaven. They were teaching us an object lesson in the middle of this and so they were doing some other things and one by one they would call us and say, do you have anything you want to deposit? And We would walk up, the uh, kids would walk up and I remember sitting there waiting for my turn, my, my name to be called and I, I determined I was gonna give a quarter that day, you know, it was more than tithe. My dad had talked to me about tithe, I knew it was more than tithe but I, I wanted to be generous and so I was going to give a quarter. That'd leave me with a buck 50. I'd still have a lot of things I could do with that buck 50. And I could take you to the classroom we were in, about where I was sitting in that classroom that day, waiting for my turn, my name to be called. And to the best of my recollection, that was, prob- that was the first time I ever heard in my spirit that still small voice of God. I hadn't responded to an altar call yet about salvation. I didn't understand that yet. I was just a kid growing up around churches. I knew the Bible stories. My parents were faithful believers. But I hadn't made some decision, it just hadn't dawned on me yet. But sitting in that classroom that day, I remember clearly in my spirit, the Spirit of the Lord saying to me, I don't want your quarter today. I want everything today. I want it all. I remember sitting there in that moment thinking about what that meant to me. I remember as a, a nine or 10 year old, probably a nine year old little kid sitting there going, Give it all today? And I walked up to that little teller's desk and I took my buck 75 out of my pocket and I, I slid it across to the lady sitting there and she took the little bank books that made for every one of us and wrote a $1.75 in it and she slid that back to me. And I walked back to my seat And another first happened to me. I couldn't have described it this way. Now, I've come come years later to begin to understand what it was. But I sensed the pleasure of God. I sensed the whisper in my spirit of well done. Well done. And it was a a sense of that I began to long for from that day forward. The sense of God's pleasure. It makes me think about that day. Whenever I think and tell this story, it makes me think about the day when we'll stand before God and he'll look at us and say, well done, good and faithful servant. What that day must be like. When the pleasure of God looks at us and says, I watched you while you were on that earth. Good job. Oh, I live for that day. I remember walking out of there and going in, and uh, we were in the, It was time for the main service, and all the kids would come out for the main service. We just have Sunday school. We didn't have children's church. We'd come out, and there were folding chairs out in the, 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 the that we sat in. And my mom was on the front row, like she always was, and and I went out and sat down next to her, and there was something in my flesh that wanted to say, I gave it all today. And yet there was something in my spirit that said, don't say that. That's between you and me. When we were out at dinner that afternoon, I wanted to go say, Dad, can I have a, you know, a dime for a candy bar? I gave it all today. But I knew that wasn't right either. I want to tell you, that was a, that was a defining... If you, when you hear me talk about money, you've got to understand that story. Because that was a defining moment for me and money. For whatever reason, maybe God knew I'd be tempted by it. I don't know what he thought, what would happen. But for whatever reason, that became a moment for me when I realized and I understood that it was all his and that I needed to be a steward of it. And that sometimes he would ask for more than I expected him to ask for. But I would always get a chance to sense his pleasure when I did what he said. There's a couple of key lessons as you think about that story and and your story on giving and where you're at at this point in your life when it comes to being a person who gives. There's a couple of viewpoints that we need to get right. First of all, it's in giving of your life, of your resources, of your wealth that God's blessed you with, this recognition that it all belongs to God as we talked a few weeks ago. And that you have the right to either be a good steward or a bad steward. Read through the scriptures in the weeks ahead and look at these parables and how many times he talks about the good steward and the bad steward, the one with, who's a faithful servant and the one who is an unfaithful servant, and how much of the time that has to do with the resources he's entrusted to us and how he calls us his servants and his stewards not his partners, not his benefactors. Here's one of the great misconceptions, that we all get the same when we get to heaven. Now, you get, you get this chance, listen to what this is to lay up treasures in heaven. Look at the parables. Look at the stories about the men with the talents or the men with the, that, that keep the vineyards. Look at the different stories and you will see when Jesus talks about this is what my kingdom is like and when the master comes back, they don't all walk away with the same thing. We don't all get to heaven and the same thing get given to us. There are crowns to earn, there are rewards to earn, there are things that we get to have that we do by being faithful here. And the call is for us to be faithful here, to lay up treasures in heaven. And that's what, that's what you did today. When you drop you know, your offering on the offering plate, that's what you do when you serve in a ministry. That's what you do when you bring somebody into your home and help them and bless them and encourage them. Or you take a meal to somebody who is sick. Or you reach out and help somebody in their life who's going through a need. And you go mow their yard or take care of their car for them. or do some, You begin to lay up treasures in heaven. You're making an eternal investment. Giving makes you a reflection of God's light and, it, and giving lifts your soul. Listen to what it says in, in Isaiah 58, talking about our prayer and fasting. It says this. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Listen, generosity makes it easier for your soul to be healed. Are you getting this? Just like there are certain things that can happen to our bodies if we don't get enough sleep or we don't eat the right food or our, our, our blood sugars are off or whatever, and it makes healing slower. When, you, when those things are right, it makes healing quicker. And in the kingdom of God, the bitterness of soul, the frustration of life, the brokenness of spirit, and even the healing of the body becomes easier and quicker, the scripture says, because generosity brings healing. Your righteousness shall go before you. In other words, the generous life to those in need, that their testimony goes before them. The, it enhances the power of your testimony when you are generous instead of stingy. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Generosity brings the protection of God into your life. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, here I am. Here's another misconception. Everybody's prayers are heard just the same. No, as you read through this, as you read through the Psalms in the next few weeks, you'll see the times where God talks about the wicked and how their prayers are an abomination, how he doesn't answer prayers of those who aren't living, in a right place before him, and those who are walking in rebellion to him. But when we begin to do the right things, our prayers begin to come before God, and he declares that he will say when we ask of him, here I am, I'm here for you. Why? Because you've been a generous soul through which his blessing can flow through you to touch others because we are blessed to be a blessing. A blessing. So we move forward. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking of wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then you shall then your light shall rise in the darkness. You shall be a reflection of the glory of God's glory. And your gloom as a noonday sun. Listen, this is such a key thing. Your spirit's gonna get lifted. Your purpose is going to be discovered. You're you're, you're going to feel like there's a sense in your life as you do with the resources God's blessed you with what he wants you to do. He's going to lift you out of the gloom and the Lord will guide you continually. He's going to tell you what to do. He's going to guide your steps and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Does that sound like the favor of God to you? The favor of God, this place where things begin to work that should work and things begin to move in our spirit the way they should move in our spirit and our spirit finds the purpose and the mean. all comes when we have this spirit of generosity of what God has given to us that we use to bless others. Isaiah is saying, you will find the favor of God in caring for those in need. Let me give you one other thought on giving today. Generosity brings the special favor of God. In 2 Corinthians 2, it says this, verse 6. Paul writes, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having Uh, all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work. Let, Let me slow down and capture that again. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things you may abound in every good work. Does that sound like the favor of God? And who gets that? The one who sows generously. Here's the misconception. I remember standing as a young kid, and I'd been reading the Bible a lot. I was about 15 years old, standing out in the entryway of the church on Jefferson Street. And, and uh, it was after a service, and there were a couple of couple teenagers standing around, and, uh, and one adult was standing there. And uh, the teenage, one teenage girl says, God loves everybody the same. I don't even know where, this, uh, just, see, I don't know where this concept came from in my mind. But as soon as she said that, I just said, uh, no, no, that's not right. He doesn't love everybody the same. He loves everybody. He doesn't love everybody the same. And we get into this debate about whether God loves everybody the same. And, and the adult woman got involved in the debate and finally she called my dad over. And she said, your son says God doesn't love everybody the same. And he said, well, that's true. And she said, I thought God loved everybody. No, God loves everybody. But David is a, was a man after God's own heart. John was a beloved disciple. God loves a cheerful giver. Doesn't mean he doesn't love everybody else. It just means he has a special look of favor on the cheerful giver. And he says what he does for the cheerful giver, all grace abounds to them. It comes flowing their way when we get this stinginess. See, there's something about giving that breaks greed, that breaks, there's something about generosity that breaks the hold that wealth and things have on us to replace God, to do what the author in Not a Fan warns us about when he says, wealth tries to take the place of God in our life. It it tries to promise us satisfaction and purpose and meaning and fulfillment and there's something about when we begin to give and give generously and recognize that God is our provider that breaks that stronghold that can never satisfy that is led by lust that keeps us wanting more and more and more thinking if I get more then I'll be satisfied that puts us in a place where we're completely satisfied Again, one of the great illustrations of this is when we see our missionaries come through here and you sit around with our missionaries and th- these people aren't you know, building huge bank accounts. They don't have huge homes. They don't have a lot of the niceties of this earth. In fact, many of them go places where it's pretty scarce. And what, yet when you get around them, what do you find? People who are satisfied. People who are fulfilled in life. People who talk about where God's calling, the place that they serve, with love and compassion. What have they found? They're free. They found some freedom in this. They found the freedom that God brings satisfaction, and it's in our relationship with him that we find the fullness of life. And so I want to call you, we can't go into all the concepts of of money on one Sunday morning service, but I want to lay this concept before you, this simple, simple thought. That money, wealth, and things were never meant to be the things that satisfy us. They were meant to be the blessings of God that God gives us to care for our lives, to care for our families, to bless others, to be used of him. And if we get that confused, we're going to find some dissatisfaction in life. But when we get it right and we let God use us in whatever realm he blesses us with to be generous. And hear me, the person with a little can be generous and the person with a lot can be generous. Everybody has a chance to be generous. It's not the amount that I'm generous with that matters. It's the generosity of the heart that matters. And what I do with what God's blessed me with and what he's entrusted to me. In the society of God, in the society of God, giving brings the favor factor in our lives. This is how life works in God's world. And the question is, do you want in? Do you want in the favor of God in the place where God blesses us? So, I told you earlier I have a deal to make with you. From time to time... um, a special need will come our way. In fact, probably almost every week we hear something about a, a need around the world. But th- from time to time as we take these special needs in, I will say uh, to somebody, we need to receive an offering for that and we need to do something special at church for that. That's a, that's a real need, some thing going on, either in our church, sometime in our church, a need, sometimes around the world. And sometimes people will say to me, uh, Pastor, we've, we've received a lot of offerings lately. You, you know, there's a lot, of, a lot of asks. That's what I get. A lot of asks. Pastor, Pastor, there's a lot of asks out there. A lot of people, you've asked for a lot of things. you got to burn people out. And I understand that. We ask for tithe. We ask you to give to missions. We ask you to give to now. We have special projects we ask you to give to. I, I do that without hesitation because of my experience I've told you about that I've, I've lived in all my life now. I can't remember ever making a dime I didn't tithe on. I can't remember ever, there ever being a special offering at the church I didn't give to. And I believe that with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. So when I get up to receive an offering, what I think I'm doing is giving you a chance to increase your measure. And I, and I believe you should give as you decide in your heart to give, that you are the steward of it. We shouldn't manipulate you. We shouldn't try to, you know, do things with compulsion. That's why when we come to mission celebration, I say, listen, hear all these stories. You're going to get stirred by them. You're going to get moved by them. Let the stirring move you to prayer. Let prayer move you to giving. Don't, be, don't, don't let anybody ever manipulate you emotionally to give. Let, let the emotion move you to prayer. Let prayer move you to obedience. Is that a good word? Yes. Don't let me today move you. Pray about these things. Are they true? Are they right? Let that move you to obedience. Let that move you to where God would have you to do. So here's the deal. Here's the deal I want to offer you. When I hear a need or the pastors hear a need or the elders decide there's a worthy need, we're going to give you the opportunity to give. I'm not going to pressure you. I'm not going to manipulate you. I'm going to tell you the facts. This is what's going on. This is what the need is. This is what the problem is. This is what's going on in the world. This is what's going on in our church. I'm just going to tell you the need. Your side is the deal of the deal is this. You give as the Lord leads you to give. Is that fair enough? So that goes a little deeper. Don't get offended if we make an appeal. If we make one three weeks in a row, don't get offended. Do what the Lord leads you to do. If someone around you says, wow, that's two special offerings this month, say, yeah, isn't that great? Our measure can increase. You know, just, just, just we have the opportunity to do what the Lord would lead us to do. You know, when we obey God, we walk in his favor. It doesn't mean you have to give in every offering. It doesn't mean you have to do everything. It means you need to be obedient. So what if God leads me to give in everything? Then he's going to bless you in everything. All grace is going to abound to you. This isn't a bad thing. This is a good thing. So the deal is this. We should have a healthy view as a church about giving. That when we give, this is why some people clap when we're about to give. Because they know all grace is going to, about to abound to them. They know they're laying out a measure. And so it shouldn't be hard for us to get up and say, hey, there's a special need in Louisiana or there's a special need in India or there's a special need in our school or there's a special need in our youth department. That shouldn't hold any hesitation. If there's a need, there's a need and you may feel led to meet that need and you may feel led to give a little of that need and you may feel led to give nothing to that need. So let's walk in joy, amen? Amen. Let me wrap this up. Here's my final question. How do you feel today? Got one of you, good. Really, I mean, examine. You're sitting there going, oh, I hate talks like this. That says something about your view of money. If what's popping in the back of your head is, all the church is after is after money. That's all they're after. That says something about what the enemy's whispering in your heart. That says something. Nobody can, I, I've never, and I've been, all, I've been in this church all my life, I've never seen anybody walk down the aisle, hold an offering plate in front of somebody, look at what they've given and put it back out and say, no, that's not enough. <laughs> never seen that happen. So what, what's the deal? If, you, if you're upset about an appeal, Why? You're upset about a pledge. Why? Nobody gets promoted or put down or made fun of or made light of, and regardless of how they give or don't give, we trust you to be obedient. So to examine how you feel in a talk like this, if this kind of makes your insides crawl up and you kind of get, all right, glad that Sunday's over, that should tell you something about the hold money has on you. If you're holding it like this and you don't want God to direct you in anything, I'll tell you what, money's got a hold on, you don't have a hold on, it's it got a hold on you. It's got a hold on you but when you hold it like this, you say, God, you bless me and I know you can bless me the more and I know this is just a small amount of your blessing and you can do whatever you want to with it, God. And, and boy, I hear this and I want your grace to abound. You just tell me what to do and I'm gonna do it. You just whisper in my heart and I'm gonna obey. You're gonna find new grace and freedom in your life. New grace and freedom. So what role does money play in your life? Is it where you find satisfaction? Is it where you find your self-worth? It is, is it where you find your purpose? Listen, as we close today with First Timothy chapter six. As for the rich in this present age, do you understand today, as we sit here at Calvary Church in Springfield, Illinois, that no matter where you are economically in comparison to everybody else in this room, in comparison to the world, you are rich? I think I read this last night. 1.1 billion people on this earth earth live every day with less than enough to sustain life. Another 1.4 billion live with just enough to get by. Not million, billion. And some of us had a hard time picking out what shirt to wear today. If you have more than one pair of shoes in your closet, you're richer than most of the world. So listen to what it says. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything, I love this, to enjoy is it bad to go on a vacation? No, God gives us things to enjoy. He just wants us to also be generous. Well, what if I spend you know, my, the money on enjoyment that I should spend? You've got to wrestle that out with God. But God's not, God wants you to have some enjoyment in life. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready To share, thus storing up treasures for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take a hold of that which is truly life. How do I store up treasures? What are the rich to do? They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works. They are to be generous with others. They are to be ready to share. And when they do that. They're storing up treasures for themselves and for their future. Let's stand together today and pray. Father, I know this is one of the places where strongholds can come into lives. and Father, I know there's many who've broken that stronghold in our church. That's why we're able to be in a place like this today. That's why we're able to give to missions the way we give. It's why we're able to to do so many of the things that we do is because so many have learned this lesson. But Lord, I just pray today that that maybe a few in this room are having that aha experience. That moment in their life where they're realizing, wow, I'm I'm holding on to the wrong thing for life and I'm seeing this the wrong way. Father, let let us learn and grow in you today. Let us be established in your presence and in your will. And let us walk in the power of your favor. Over these last weeks, Lord, we've tried to talk about what brings your favor. And I know that as we read your word, we're going to find other ways to walk in obedience to your favor and have your favor. Let that be upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's been a good word today? Amen. Amen. As the prayer teams come down to the front right now, step on out and come, let me just say this to you one time. If you're new here, uh, I just want you to understand. here's what we tell people all the time. If what we say we can back up with Scripture, you better do it. If it doesn't back up with Scripture, then just say, Pastor, had a bad day today and pray for me to have a better one next week. Everything we want to build our life on the foundation of God's word. If you do that, you're going to walk in the favor of God and grace is going to abound to you. And this is one of the areas where that has to be right. But the first area that has to be right, is it has to be right with your relationship with God. And the only way to get your relationship right with God is by accepting the work that Jesus did for you on Calvary. By receiving Jesus as your Lord to rule and guide your life and to put your faith in him to be your savior. Not one of us are going to stand before God and him say, okay, before uh, this, this, I'm going to check you here. How much did you give? Because if you didn't give enough, you're not getting in. No, we can't give enough because it's all his. We'll be judged whether we were a steward of it. The only way to get into heaven is by putting our faith in Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. And if you haven't done that yet, I want to encourage you as others are coming for other reasons to be prayed for, you come and be prayed for. Maybe you're going through a financial crisis right now and you want prayer. Maybe you're going through a health crisis. Maybe you're just needing direction in life. Whatever your need is, step out and come and let somebody pray for you, but especially today. If you're not sure your heart is right with God, step out and come and let somebody pray with you. God bless you.